Welcome to Trends and Tensions, presented by BHDP, where we discuss trends in architectural and interior design and the competing priorities or tensions that arise from integrating new ideas into existing organizations, enterprises, and institutions. This episode, we are joined by BHDP design leaders, Samantha Delabar and Tom Ahrens to discuss purposeful design. Samantha and Tom help us define this new concept of architectural design to leverage the strengths of key ideas from design thinking, as well as experiential and emotional design to positively impact the environments and behaviors within a space. I am your host, Brian Trainer, a workplace strategist for BHDP, and I'll let our guests introduce themselves further. Yeah, hi, Brian. Glad to be back on. I'm Samantha Delabar. I'm one of our design leaders focused on our workplace market. Thank you, Sam. And Tom, would you mind telling us who you are and what you do, sir? Yes, Brian. Nice to be here. My name is Tom Ahrens. I'm a shareholder at BHDP, and I'm a design leader on our workplace team, focusing typically on architectural design. Fantastic. Glad to have you both here. What we're joined together today to talk about is something called purposeful design. So the first question is, what is purposeful design? Well, Brian, purposeful design is simply defined as problem solving that inspires people, enhances experiences, and drives strategic results. Maybe I could go back a little bit into our background of how we got here. Sure, uh, sure, sure. It's kind of born out of our collective ambition. So as a firm, as a company, as we were establishing our collective ambition, we really started to look at our vision, our purpose, and our promise. And for those that don't know, our promise is designed for people. And really, we were looking at how do we now put those things into action? What we started to do is really look at how we go about designing experiences, environments, and started to think a little more deeply about how how that work happens and how design manifests itself. So that really started to drive this concept of purposeful design. Collective ambition is an internal initiative within BHDP. What are the components of that again? Sure, Brian. So at BHDP, our vision is that we design places and experiences that inspire people. We have a purpose statement. There's that keyword purpose where we design environments that affect the key behaviors necessary to achieve strategic results for our clients. And then once again, our brand promise is that we are designing for people. So those are great as words on paper, but then we had to look at how do we really put that into practice? And that's really where the concept of purposeful design and how we approach design came about. Yeah, I remember, Tom, you and I were having a conversation the other day because I learned about purposeful design, that it was an internal initiative that we've been working on. And I kind of asked where it came from. You know, why did we need it at all when we have design thinking? But there was another one that inspired you kind of to go down this path. I think our CEO tasks you with learn about this. Yeah, Brian, actually, there's a couple things, right? The last couple of years, we've been kicking around a lot of different design terminology. You mentioned design thinking, which is a concept that we learned from IDEO, which has really helped inform how we approach projects in terms of our process. But other things we've been kicking around are phrases such as experiential design and emotional design. And all of those approaches to design have really core strengths. And what we recognized when we started looking at each one of those is We really want to take advantage of the best aspects and characteristics of each of those and really customize that into a a process to design that really helped us once again deliver on our collective ambition. And then secondly, I'll just add, you know, around our company, there's a lot of terminology, a lot of conversations around these different approaches to design. And what we are really striving for is to create some uniformity and consistency and a way to synthesize how we approach design 
So it was very consistent, both internally to our employees, but also externally to our clients. Yeah, that's helpful because I think the one that we spoke about was emotional design. And it's interesting because you have these concepts that see some of them are a little more nebulous than others and a little more regimented. And you're combining those together to create something that makes sense for what we do and how we interface with clients. Yeah, correct. Um, And, you know, Brian, when we are looking at that, you know, emotional design is a key design approach by a gentleman named Don Norman, who spent a lot of time and he's written several books on the topic and, and speaks very eloquently to it. But as we are looking at emotional design and experiential design, sometimes we recognize that that was addressing product development or maybe web-based applications. And you know we're in the business of creating experiences and environments. So we were really looking to figure out how some of those key aspects of those could translate to the work that we do. Gotcha. And that's how we come to purposeful design, right? It's something that makes more sense for the way we interface with clients, plus how we create those experiences and spaces for them. So explain to me then, what are the key principles of purposeful design? Where have you landed with this? The concept of purposeful design is really built around three key principles. And those three are informed, empathetic, and exciting. And we can expand on those uh, further here in a moment. But really what we're looking at is taking data and information and taking all these inputs and driving them through these three key principles and thinking about how that data can inform us and influence design direction as we kind of walk through each one of those three different principles. That's great. So informed, empathetic, and exciting. Let's start with the first one, informed. When we look at informed design, we really want to understand our client's business and we want to understand their organization. So it's really taking a deeper dive and gaining an understanding of what our client is trying to achieve. And that idea of informed is really having purpose, to use that word, behind everything that we do. So we don't want to just do things because we want to have solid reasons. And typically, we'll use different types of data and different types of data streams to help us become informed. Some of that is quantitative, which we would call hard data, right? Those are something that's truly factual. The client can provide that in terms of maybe how many people are entering the building on a given day. But we also want to look at qualitative data, which is more the softer side and things that are maybe a little harder to have a metric around. So a lot of our strategic services help to focus on some of the softer side um, types of data, which would help guide and produce the vision and the goals and the success criteria for the project. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and humans tend to make things more complicated when you're looking at data too, especially with the soft metrics and what people maybe need or don't need. Like what's the organizational culture within it? You know, what are the workplace dynamics? How do people interact with each other? So you're looking at a more human soft metric combined with hard metrics of how often does this space get used, right? That's correct. There's great technology out there to tell us how people are spending their time, where they're spending it when and how. But on the softer side, we want to know, you know, for diving into a client's culture, there might be other tools that we use to help get to that solution or that understanding of what they're about. So that might be a lot of questioning, might be some surveying, some one-on-one conversations, those types of things. Great. That's informed design. What about the empathetic component of that, Sam? So Brian, I can touch on that for sure. So empathy is the ability to feel what other people are feeling. It is experiencing their emotions and the ability to put yourself in the other person's shoes in a big and meaningful way. 
as we have previously discussed, really our, our firm promise is designed for people. So this part of our purposeful design process is really to understand the people that we're designing for. We really need to find ways to kind of feel those emotions of the people that we're designing for, really get into their shoes so that we can take our own assumptions out as far as what the design of the space or the experience should be, and we can truly design for the people. This is kind of true and dear to my heart just because I'm such a people person and, and I really can connect with people and really feel, you know, what they're feeling. There's also this notion that this is a learned behavior. So empathy is something that everybody has, but it's a way that we need to recognize what empathy is. So it's a trait that can be learned so that people have awareness of what empathy is and how to use it within their work. Part of what you said in the description is to feel what other people are feeling. Is it possible mm -hmm. to learn empathy without actually feeling what they're feeling, but to put yourself in a position of understanding what they may be feeling? It's called recognition. So there are okay. three types of empathy, and that, that kind of aligns with the first one, which is cognitive empathy. Basically recognizing the emotions and the reactions of individuals. So this type of empathy really takes a little bit more brain power. Just need to recognize and ask the right questions, have deeper engagements with individuals, and take a little bit more effort to draw out of them any specific aspirations, desires, and emotions. So yes, it is possible to kind of learn the trade. The second one, Brian, is emotional empathy. And that's kind of where we call it. It's emotions are contagious, right? If you ever can put yourself in a position where someone starts to cry, right? You all of a sudden get a tear in your eye too. So that's that kind of empathetic connection that, that you have with people that, again, some have it stronger than others. So you just need to recognize those feelings as, as you kind of live your life and, and design for others. The third one is compassionate empathy. So that's taking it to the third step, right? It's recognizing the emotions of somebody and then doing something about it. It kind of pulls both cognitive and emotional together into a solution or result. So as we embed empathy into our projects, we need to ensure that we have the right engagements with the end users. We can't just listen and, and hope we get it right. Sure. When we are physically interacting with them, engaging with them, listening to them, that allows us, again, to put our own assumptions as far as what the strategic results should be, and we can design for them, not for ourselves. Yeah. Do you have any examples of what it's like to engage with clients to get to that understanding of empathy? Some of the tools that we do that have been very inspirational and help is basically conducting focus groups, right? So when we get the actual users in the room, go through a set of exercises as far as imagine sessions, you know, what do they imagine the future to be? Talking to them about, you know, where and when did you have your best idea? Those are things that start to trigger those emotional connections and and places that they want to be in order to be the most successful. Listening to their, their hobbies, listening to their desires, listening to their wishes, listening to their dreams, but also listening to their fears and their concerns allows us to get our mindset into them and then create experiences that can either put away those fears or energize those aspirations. We'll often work with our clients to generate a set of personas for the client themselves. So working with them, we can help establish a balanced cross-section of their workforce. And then we'll write narrative around those personas to help define who they are, reference some of the things that Samantha just mentioned in terms of their 
preferences, what they like to do, what they enjoy doing, and really represent the different personality types of those people that are in an organization. And then we'll leverage those personas and do something we call journey mapping. And we'll actually walk those personas through a potential design solution. So we're really looking at it through their point of view and from their perspective. We often say that we're, we're kind of walking in their shoes and we'll experience the space through that persona specifically. And those personas, those are based on real people in the agency or are they fictitious? Yeah. So Brian, it kind of depends on each project and each client and each problem we're trying to solve. So, you know, a lot of time it's been a very strong organization and foundation that they know who their people are. We'll kind of put them, I don't want to say buckets, but we'll kind of put them into kind of groups of personas so that we can can look at it across the culture and across the organization. But the fun part is imagining the future of, so say it's a startup company, right? And they're getting ready to hire and they're getting ready to onboard. So we need to kind of take a different set of tools to help imagine what that future state's going to be with the people that will be in the space. Or, you know, who's that client you want to walk through? Or, you know, what's that new hire? How do we want to attract and retain? So what is that experience when they walk in the front door so that they just grasp onto it, create a connection to it, and, and just really want to be there and be successful. Gotcha. And those personas are like characters in your TV show where you mm-hmm. try to find traits of yourself. So yeah, you can try to create a good cross-section of, of relatable characters, right? Yeah, absolutely, Brian. And then we have some fun even doing some storytelling and role-playing to really get into the character. So, you know, kind of think of a stage set. We get fully immersed into it, which which inspires us, again, to think outside of our our own thoughts and ideas as far as what the space should be. Sure, because then you've, you're physically moving a certain type of person through a space, understanding, you know, what motivates them and then what they yeah. get excited about, right? Yeah, um, and I think I've mentioned that to you before, Brian, that, you know, empathy fuels motivation. Mm-hmm. So in order for us to create inspiring spaces, us as designers and us as the design team, along with the client, needs to be inspired and excited, which will lead into our third point here within purposeful designs. That's right. So Brian, when we talk about exciting, what we're looking at for this kind of third part of the principles is really understanding the emotions and feelings of the people we're designing for. So it has a lot of direct correlation back to empathy. But here, what we're really doing is diving a little bit deeper into emotions and feelings. As I mentioned previously, we're referencing Don Norman's work on emotional design, and he looks at it in three different levels. There's what he first calls a visceral level, and that's really about your first impression. What I kind of reference is curb appeal. So imagine if you were out shopping for a new home and you pulled up in front of this house that a realtor is going to take you through, you probably already make a judgment on that home right off the bat, right? Either it has some emotional trigger to you. I love it. I hate it without yeah. even knowing if functionally it's going to support the needs that you have or what you're looking for, right? The second one is what he refers to as being behavioral. And that second piece is really about the usability of what you're dealing with. In, in some cases, he's talking about product design, but it translates to spatial design or you know, an experience is how does it function? Is there an effectiveness of how something's being used, right? That's once again, if you are in that house and start using your kitchen, if it's functionally working for you, you don't even have to think about it. You just, it's just working, right? And then the third piece is what he referred to as reflective. And that's really about how you remember the experience, right? That's what you take away. That's what you're going to share with others when you walk away. So there's a lot of impact to you that ties into your memory. 
So that whole memorable piece is really this key aspect in exciting. What do you walk away with? The other side of it, the emotional design that we look at in exciting is actually how it impacts your senses. Of your key senses, obviously what you see is has the largest impact, but we're also thinking about how do things feel? What kind of smells? What do you hear? Those are great influences that can have a very positive or negative impact on design. So it's very important to consider those and making sure that we're thinking about those things also, because we want people to walk away with a very positive, memorable experience. When we think of experience design, that's kind of one of the key factors there. If we are creating a positive, memorable experience, people will want to come back. They will want to be there. So it's how do we kind of create those environments that that people want to be. And, and as we all know, we can put ourselves in those positions and if it's a place you want to be, you're going to be your most productive. So as we kind of loop it around to understanding where we are designing spaces to help gain strong strategic business results, we need to have people productive and efficient and inspired to be in the spaces. Sure. Thanks for that, Sam. I, I, I'm curious, too, is there some rule of threes going on with this? Because, you know, purposeful design has three steps, informed, empathetic and exciting. But when we talked about empathetic, you know, you had the three cognitive, emotional and compassionate empathy. Mm -hmm. And then Tom just talked about the three components of emotional design within exciting. What's the rule of threes going on here? Is it just a coincidence? <laughs> you know, Brian, that's really interesting because I'm going to extend the rule of three a little bit further. because. Sure. The way we've been talking about purposeful design is people like metaphors, and the metaphor that we've been using is actually a tripod. Here's your three legs of a, of a tripod. And I'm an avid photographer, so I'm using this type of a tool and equipment all the time. But the way we look at this and see it is the idea of a tripod is it's supposed to carry the camera. If you kind of shift your thinking and think about design and putting the design in place of a camera – we need to create a solid foundation to hold that design up and implement design at hopefully its highest level. So really those three legs of the tripod is what allows us to do that. Now, typically some people will call things, reference something as a three-legged stool. We don't do that because if one leg of the stool is shorter than another, it really creates unbalance or tipping and such. Sure. The beauty with a tripod is the functionality of a tripod is it allows you to adjust each of the legs to adapt to the situation that you're in and still create a foundation and a balance for that platform in which we're saying design is resting on. Even within all of our projects, if some of them are lighter in one area or another of these three principles, we wanna make sure that we're leveraging all three of them so we can still provide a solid foundation in which to do our design work. And as those move and adjust, we know that we're delivering uh, design at hopefully a higher level. Sure, and that's an interesting analogy to make. It's not about conforming the situation to the tool that you've created, but conforming the tool to the situation that you're in. Correct. And we, and we know that if all three of those are running in a more balanced approach, it can adapt to the majority of the situations we're in. But yeah, if you're on some rocky terrain and certain legs need to be different than others, we can adapt to that and make sure we can still deliver on our vision, as we mentioned at the offset. Yeah. Does purposeful design, looking at it from these three aspects, can it have an impact on something as significant as like COVID-19 that we're going through now that's changing everyone's view of their office? Can we leverage the three legs of this tripod to help people through that decision process? I know that was 
something we didn't talk about ahead of time, but I want to hit you with a zinger. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, Brian, actually, I've been thinking about that because, you know, we've been, these principles have been in place for us for a while now. And it's interesting to me over the last three to four months, I've heard the word purpose and purposeful and the word empathy probably more than I have in the last three years. Even though at BHGP, we've been talking about, you know, this approach to design for several years now, it really seems to hit right in the sweet spot of what we're kind of going through in today's world with the pandemic. And and I think it's more important than ever that people think about these three things because we don't want to make knee-jerk reactions, right? We want to be informed about how we're processing all the information and data that's out there, especially since it changes so rapidly. So we want to make sure that we can filter and sort through that information and be informed about how we're going to move forward. Obviously, empathy is of utmost importance is people's safety and their well-being. So we, we need to be more sympathetic and understand people's points of view. You know, we need to make sure more than ever that we're really focused on that. And then the idea of exciting, I think I read an article or a statistic the other day that 14% of people are happy these days, which is an all-time low. So how can we create experiences or future space that really is going to allow people to feel comfortable, feel safe, and still make them want to come back time and time again and and make it a positive, memorable experience as opposed to, I don't want to ever do that again. So as we are in a different world at the moment, from the empathetic approach, we're seeing a lot of organizations have to take those extra steps to connect their people, you know, through virtual things, through initiatives within the firm, and taking that cognitive approach to step back, to think about it, and to see what's right for their organization. We've heard a lot about, you know, no, the future of our success is that our people are together, right? That we need to bring everybody back together because they feed off of each other, they help each other, and we need to have them together. All the way through to, you know, we can connect virtually. We're fine. We're being successful and, and we're, we're approaching it in the right in the right manner. So, Brian, we're seeing it definitely with the change of COVID and, and this unknown future vary from organization to organization and, and understanding is really about the culture of the group. Yeah. And so that that first component, you know, the informed really has a big piece of that when the situation is different, the needs are different. And so that does sound like it balance as well. So, Tom, how can purposeful design improve the project design? So, Brian, let me share an example with you. It's a little experiment we did in-house. We have a a small uh, group, about six people, that is what we call our design pilot group. And this group kind of beta tests different design ideas and thought. So what we did is we decided to run a little bit of an experiment with them, and we gave them an activity And we just simply told them, it was three groups of two individuals, so they worked in pairs, and we said, here's your design challenge. We want you to create a space for eight to ten people to collaborate. And then we gave them 20 minutes to go off and talk about it. What was interesting is when they came back and shared their results, as problem solvers at heart, everyone tried to solve the problem. They tried to create a solution given the 20 minutes, they felt rushed because I need to have a solution. Right. And what we found interesting is they didn't really pause and think about or ask the questions about who they were designing for or what the success criteria vision for this space actually was going to be. 
So we kind of walked through an explanation of purposeful design and how to apply that. And then what we did the next time we met is we ran the same exact exercise, an eight to 10 person collaboration space. However, this time we gave them multiple pages of content that had personas in it to talk about the empathy side. It had a lot of background information, articles that show research about how certain things impact design. And then we even talked about emotional design and talked about the senses. And we gave them 20 minutes again to go back and solve it again. And it was very interesting because when they came back that time, the level of design was just much more thorough. It was at a much higher level than what we had seen the first time. And it really related back to the people they were actually designing the space for. It wasn't about their own personal experience of, I saw this conference room, I thought it was great. It was actually tied back into purpose on all three of those principles. So it just was a quick exercise that we ran to demonstrate how we know this can have a huge impact on the experiences and the spaces that we're designing. That's really fascinating. Thank you for sharing. It's kind of a proof of concept. And that's the thing, you know, when you've got a new experience, say, hey, here's how we believe it's going to work. And then you test it and there you go. Do you have any examples of projects you would like to share where we've leveraged purposeful design uh, or some components of it? You know, what have you learned so far? Because this is relatively new, even to us. Currently, there's a project we're working on on the East Coast, and uh, we've been working on it for three years now. It's slated to actually open here in the next month or two. But it was really interesting on that project because we were talking before about kind of the qualitative and quantitative data that we're collecting. On that project, we did a lot of hard metric data collection. So we actually used sensors where we measured space and broadened and deepened our understanding of how this organization was using conference space. So their big question was, as we program the spaces for the new building, the renovated and new building, we're doing it, it's an addition to an existing building. They wanted to know what types, both in terms of seat counts and also quantities of conference space they were going to need in the new, in the new facility. So we spent several weeks analyzing data that we've received from using sensors to measure in their current space, and that helped inform and influence the amount of conference space and the types of conference space in the new building. So that was a very direct, quantitative approach to collecting information that had a, a profound impact on the square footage and the, the functionality of the new building. On the flip side of that, we spent about 10 months, maybe just under that, doing a lot of strategy work with this organization to understand their culture, understanding their vision and their success criteria, knowing that the building wouldn't be implemented or they wouldn't be moving into it until three years down the line. So that strategic you know, looking out in advance helped create content and success criteria that influenced the design when we actually started putting pen to paper. It's kind of exciting because as the project wraps up and they'll be starting to move in, maybe not at the same levels that were initially planned three years ago, but that's really where purposeful design comes to life. And we can kind of test out how these inputs are starting to manifest themselves within the physical environment. Yeah, that's helpful. Thanks, Tom. And what about Sam, since you spoke to empathy before? Any project examples from the empathy side? Yeah, absolutely, Brian. So again, empathy has a lot to do with engaging with the end users, right? Engaging with the audience that we're designing for. A good example was a few years ago, we had 
what we called a, a rapid engagement, right? We had one day to really get in there, roll our sleeves up, do some tools through our, our strategic process to really fully understand the people in their group. And one of the tools we did was the Imagine session that I had mentioned before and asked the staff to take a look, step back and, and really help us understand what a location or experience that really resonated with you, really inspired you and, and really recharged you to be the best that you could be. This lady had pulled up a drawing about a park. Right. She says that my favorite place to be is a park. I get inspired because I can sit on a bench. I can read a book or we can play games with the family. We can, you know, or I can exercise. I can do so many things. It's very versatile and it allows me to adapt to my current mood or, you know, my current intent as far as I would. I want the park to be. And I had just had that aha moment. Like, I want to be her. I want to design a park like setting right in the middle of the office so she can get up out of her desk and she can literally go in there and either sit down and read a book, she can play games with her other coworkers, she can connect. And this is where this ideation of kind of the social hub started to come in from a lot of our things we do, you know, got away from the break room, but now it's more the social hub and then the location and the activities that kind of happen in those two forces interactions that make people feel like they're part of a team. That's just kind of one example of how these tools and these engagements really help us. I'm not a park person, right? I would rather be inside doing something different, but to know that is what she wants and that is the location that she is most happy and inspired and recharged, it created that reason and that purpose for design a space for that individual. Sure, and then it seems to feed into the excitement part of it as well when you understand the empathetic side. Those two inform the final one is what it sounds like. And if you did it right, then you get the exciting design. Yeah, we do. And I think some of that exciting part of purposeful design, and as we start looking at our full design process, there's little nips of it all the way around, right? If we get the staff engaged, start creating what those potential memorable experiences can be and how it is gonna connect to their emotions and these aha moments, they will be even more excited day one when they move in. As soon as they start seeing it being built and then they can really see it come to life, there's a lot more acceptance that it's the right solution. Sure, that makes a lot of sense to me. A better output for a more informed, empathetic, and exciting design, right? You know, Samantha and I are working on another project that's actually up in Columbus. And as Sam mentioned, we're using some of these exercises with this client also to help design their new lobby space and conference center. And once again, we've taken a very empathetic approach. The idea of personas, which we've already mentioned, we leverage those heavily. And then what we haven't really mentioned a lot is that this whole activity is all about co-creation and collaboration with the client themselves and spending time with, with them to help ideate around potential solutions. So what we did is we did an exercise that we called journey mapping. And we broke into groups and each group took one or two of the personas and once again had to walk that persona through the design intent of the space. And it was really interesting to see how once people put themselves into the, someone else's perspective, their point of view, how the design was impacted. And another tool that we used is we had what we called an experience charrette. And we asked people to come in and once again, talk about their experience in the space. And we told them to bring one photo to represent it. So just as Sam had mentioned, this park-like reference, my favorite example from working with this client was the head of security brought his photo in. And when you think of security, it could be anything from just something very 
fortress-like, really robust. But the photo that this gentleman shared with the group was the picture of a mother gorilla cuddling and swaddling her baby gorilla. <laughs> Interesting. And it, and it really caught the group off guard a little bit because we never anticipated that photo from the head of security. The words that he put to it was that he wanted it to feel – had the security that that baby felt with its mother – but also had that comfort and that empathetic feeling. So when you walked in there, you knew that it was safe and secure without hitting you over the head with security. Right. You don't see the metal detectors and such. It's more subtle. It feels welcoming. You feel comforted. And you know nobody's going to mess with Mama Gorilla. (laughs) (laughs) That's all great. Um, Thank you both for sharing. Anything that we missed? If I can chime in. When we think of purposeful design, a couple of things just to to sum it up in my point of view is all of the components really opens us up to new creative possibilities, right? We will hear and we will learn in each three of those parts something different that we may never have even thought about, right? Because it's coming uniquely from the client and the user. So that really helps each final solution be 100% unique. This also process really helps keep the people we're designing for squarely grounded in the center of our work. So just to kind of keep that, again, original promise, our brand promise is designed for people. So, you know, as we kind of went through the different things, each three of those truly plays into keeping it people focused. Thank you for that, Sam. Tom, any final thoughts before we go? Um, actually, Samantha shared exactly what I was thinking about. She stole your line. Which is great. No, I, I, it just shows we're on the same wavelength, right? Um, sure. I, I just think it's so important to recognize that, once again, each client and their challenges and what they're trying to achieve is truly unique. So we feel like this approach to design is not formal, formulaic, where we're just rehashing what's been done before elsewhere. Now, through the process, we may find that some of those experiences we've had and solutions we've had may help further apply to a specific solution But by no means is it something that we're just rolling off the shelf and saying it worked over there, so it's going to work over here. Each client is unique. Each challenge is unique. So each design solution is unique. Tom, Sam, thank you both for coming and explaining purposeful design and helping build a better understanding of that. And have a wonderful day. Thank you, Brian. Thank you for joining Trends and Tensions, presented by BHDP, for this episode, Purposeful Design, with Samantha Delabar and Tom Ahrens, design leaders for BHDP. If you appreciate what you have heard, please rate, subscribe, and give us a review. I am Brian Trainer, your host, and I hope you'll join us for another episode of Trends and Tensions to see what topics drive design.